0: Go with me to uh, Exodus 3. Exodus 3 and 2 Peter 1. Exodus 3 and 2 Peter 1. And didn't Brittany do a good job last week? How many you guys got to hear her? She did good. Brittany, Brittany talks well, talks good. I don't, whatever. Exodus 3, I'm just talking. Um, Exodus 3, 2 Peter 1. You guys in Exodus 3? It's at the beginning. Go to the beginning of your Bible, the beginning of your app. That's where it's at. We'll start in verse 10. We'll read through verse 14, and then we'll pray. Exodus 3, starting in verse 10. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I could bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Verse 13, when Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I want to give you a quick talk around the thought God's got your back. God's got your back. Let's pray. We thank you for being in community. Uh, We thank you that as we're in this series, we're getting to hear stories that build our faith. And we're getting to see that this Jesus thing works. And I pray as we look at your word tonight that we'd be built up with the fact that you're present with us and you're going to help us fight our battles and we have what it takes to do what you've called us to do. And we thank you for that in your name. Amen. So I was born, um, 20 something years ago. I'm not going to get too specific. I'm 27. I'm old now. I bought a pair of Tommy Bahama shorts the other day and felt super cool. I golfed in them and they were the most comfortable pair of shorts I've ever golfed in. They were incredible. Brittany won't let me get the shirt, though, but I'll get there. At some point, I'm going to do it. But uh, I was born in Gresham. it's was a suburb of Portland, much like Covington's a suburb of Seattle. And I was born to Jeff and Mary Lou Holmes. I am the spawn of Jeff. That's how I was informed I'm supposed to introduce myself to adults. My dad told me, we were at my mom's 20-year high school reunion and it was me and my mom. My mom's Canadian, so we went to the homeland for it, my mom and I. And uh, my dad said, every person who asks who you are, say, I am the spawn of Jeff, and say nothing else. <laughs> it was pretty funny. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I fell in love with sports pretty early, which is funny, because my dad's an English major, and my mom sang opera professionally. Like, that's, Total athletes, obviously, right? And uh, my brother and I fell in love with sports, and it was good because I'm big. And so playing basketball and football, my job generally was just to move humans out of the way. Like, that's my job. And then I played goalie in soccer, which was awesome because I took up more of the goal than anybody else, right? So I'm just kind of like I'm in the way in every sport I play. That was my job. And I in middle school, I made... Uh, my first traveling prep basketball team and felt so stinking cool, man. I was awesome. I was like, you, you remember when you started feeling like, like you were cool and you started, I don't know what age that was for me. It was middle school. Elementary school was a little rough. And, uh, middle school, I'm just kind of like walking down the halls like, yeah, I made a basketball team wearing my jersey, which was funny because I hadn't gotten my jersey from the team yet so my mom had gone to Walmart and bought a tank top and then felt numbers and ironed them on to the back of my shirt. And I was number 55 for Dikemi Mutombo, represent, right? Just the finger wag, yep, there you go. And uh, but so I'm playing in my first tournament, and I am shooting free throws to win the game for my tournament team. Remember, my mom, professional opera singer. Just keep it on the back of your mind, okay? I had my routine, dribble, spin the ball, dribble. I go to shoot, and my mom, Jim's dead silent. My mom screams at the top of her lungs, Go Petunia Blossom! (laughs) I'm like, see, now I had to make the free throw for two reasons. First, to win the game. Second, to defend my honor, right? Like, I I couldn't miss that at that point. Man, I love sports, and sports didn't care that I was big, right? And uh, I I remember playing basketball all the way through my sophomore year in high school, and then I remember looking in the mirror, I've said this before, realizing I was six foot and white and was done growing, and I was like, basketball's probably not going to work. And so I picked up a bass, started doing music. I remember my sophomore year, though, when I gave up sports, I was walking through the hallway one day, and these two seniors I had never met pinned me up against the wall and called me some really mean things. Because all of a sudden I wasn't cool because I was big and playing football and basketball. I was just big and a bass player. I remember all of a sudden that swagger that made me sweet because I was big and an athlete kind of started crumbling a little bit. I made it to my senior year and I spoke at our graduation in front of 2,000 people and and I was a four-year leadership student and Decided to go to college, decided to go to Bible college and took on more than I should. And four months into Bible college, I'm on academic probation. Kicked out of the Bible college that's attached to the church that I was going to. I decided, oh, that's okay. Bible college isn't what I wanted to do anyways. So then I decided to go to community college and study poli sci. Four months into community college, I'm on academic probation again. I used to wake up in the morning and because I had never really failed before like I was just the kind of guy that could just kind of coast and things would work out. I remember starting to fail my classes in college cuz I just wasn't doing good and I remember waking up and driving around downtown Gresham waiting for when I knew my parents had left for school or for work and then I'd go back home and go back to sleep. I decided, okay, maybe that's not what I want and decided to do an internship in a place called Centralia because my hope was if I moved, then hopefully my problems stayed behind. And I don't know if you've realized this, but problems don't care where you live. Just so you know, moving does not remove your problems. Moving, a change of scenery may hide them for a little bit, but they will follow you. I'm six months into Centralia, and my problems that I thought I left in Portland are with me in Centralia now. And I'm sitting with the youth pastor who was over the internship, and he just asked me out of the blue, Ed, how are you doing? I burst into tears and say, I just don't really like who I am. I remember asking questions in that season like, how did I end up here? I had it so good. When I was younger, I was popular, I was cool. How did I end up here? I remember asking the question, where's this God that was supposed to have my back? So I was a four-year leadership student in high school. And uh, how many of you guys have ever been to a leadership retreat? Anybody? Yeah, so leadership retreats generally involve the woods, right, and an obstacle course, and way too much team building, Right? And so uh, it's, it's my junior year in high school, and we go to this leadership retreat, and we did this obstacle course, which was really just two-by-fours kind of off the ground a smidge, right? And then we helped each other over this wall that we all could just kind of go over ourselves, right? And there's a rope course. And, and every leadership retreat has one thing that they always do, the trust fall. Anybody remember the trust fall? I trust you and you fall into like this loving warm embrace of approval and acceptance right and the trust fall for me was a math equation I could not do the trust fall with anyone less than my size right had to be equal or more than like that's how the trust fall works And so as soon as the guy says, we're about to do the trust fall, I start scanning the room, right? Got to find someone equal or more than my size. Okay. Lock eyes with a dude. He was doing the same thing. We were doing math together, right? Lock on. You and me, man, we're going to make it through this together. And we just start walking towards each other. My teacher takes the mic and goes, no, we're going to do it a little bit differently this time. We're going to interlock arms and create a web of trust. That's what she says. Like, web of trust. Is that a Spider-Man attribute? Like, I don't get. And then she goes, this is the class one by one is going to come out of the web of trust and stand on the stage and fall backwards into our arms that create this web of trust. Again, I am doing math, and I'm looking at the arms of the people in my class still less than. Not equal or more to, still less than. So I put myself at the end of the line thinking we have learned the lesson of trust by the time it's my turn. Bunch of cheerleaders and drama kids in my leadership class, just not going to work. So one by one, you know, cheerleaders come up and like pirouette and fall beautifully into our web of trust and we all say we love each other and hug and it's weird. And it comes up and it's my turn and, and I'm like, we've learned the lesson. We're good. Can we go home now? My like, teacher, everybody has to go. Ed, you need to know that you can trust us. I was like, I already know I don't. <laughs> so I walk up on the stage and I look over my shoulder and she was making all of us say, I trust you. And I was like, um, I sorta mostly don't trust the rest of you guys, and I kept my eyes open because I wanted to see the mayhem that was about to happen, and I fall backwards, and I'm not kidding, as soon as I felt people's arms on my back, I watched two heads right on top of me, just boom, like this, (laughs) and these two, like, I just fall to the ground, head first, I take out 15 students, like, one of me, it was like a game of bowling, man, like, I got a strike, I got them all, took them all out. And my teacher, like as they're pulling bodies, there was like a dead person that we set off to the side. And an ambulance showed up. It was like intense. There's blood. It was like at least TV-14 gore. You know what I mean? (laughs) And uh, my teacher goes, we're going to do it again. You need to know that you can trust us. And I was like, no, I don't need to know. So now we're like three people down. We're missing people. And I go up and do it again. Take out like seven more people. It was bad. They had to go get workers from the camp to fill out the web of trust. And then they finally like caught me early and stood me up and we made it out, right? They didn't make it. They aren't in the yearbooks. Just rip to the people I killed. But... You know, I... I think... If we're being honest, when I say the phrase, God's got your back, there's probably two questions in our minds. First, does he really? And second, is he powerful enough to really do it? I think a lot of us look at God as this person who we're supposed to trust. And we may have given it a couple goes in the past, just like I did growing up. And man, we fell into his loving arms and felt. I'm a lot more like we hit the ground than God helped. And that's how I felt in my early twenties. And man, it, it really stunk to be believing in this person, this thing who's supposed to be almighty and all powerful. And I grew up in church. I know the stories. I've read the books. I've seen the pictures and I'm supposed to believe. And yet time after time, I feel like I'm just hitting the floor. And I, I was doing my devos when I was in Centralia, and I came across the story of Moses. And, man, I relate a lot to Moses. And backstory: Moses is born in a time when they're killing every Israelite born under the age of two. Every guy under the age of two is dying because Pharaoh's concerned about how many Israelites there are. Pretty gruesome picture. The babies would be born, and they drown them in the moment. Didn't have a chance to live. The fact that Moses made it through birth is in itself a miracle. And he's born and his mom is so concerned about Moses living and being found that she puts tar inside of a picnic basket, puts him in a river, and sends him downstream. And Moses' sister is watching and who picks up Moses a little further downstream than Pharaoh's daughter? Just miracle after miracle for Moses. He's special from the beginning. And Moses' sister walks up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, Hey, I know a woman who's nursing. Let me wean this baby for you and bring him back. All of a sudden, Moses goes from should have been dead to back in the arms of his mother. And you got to know that Moses' mom is saying, Hey, you're special. Remember who you are. Remember that God has a plan for you. Remember that God has your back. A lot like what my parents said to me growing up. Moses goes and now he's living in Pharaoh's household, actually in line to take over the throne, and he has more money and more influence than he knows what to do with. Started off pretty well for Moses. Probably started off pretty well for most of us. Moses finds himself walking one day, remembering who he is. He's an Israelite in his heart, and he knows that. He sees a slave master beating up an Israelite, and he actually kills the slave master, thinks he hides him, finds out the next day that he didn't. He takes off to the wilderness. Just like that, this awesome life that Moses was living has him in the backside of the desert for the next 40 years, tending sheep. Moses probably found himself asking the question, how did I end up here? And I love this chunk of scripture because Moses is in the desert and it says that he observes off in the distance this bush that's burning, but it's not, but it is. And it's because God knows how to get guys' attention. You set something on fire, right? <laughs> Moses decides he has to go look at it. As he walks up to the bush, it gets weirder. The bush talks to him. It says, take off your sandals for you're on holy ground. God starts talking to Moses through this bush. Moses who thought he was forgotten. Moses who thought that he had missed it. Moses who probably thought he had failed. we see God call Moses and he says, when they ask who sent you, say, I am that I am. If you look up that word, it's important that God introduced himself like that to Moses. Moses is defeated. Moses is feeling like he failed. Moses is wondering why he's still existing. Sounds like your 20s, right? Moses is wondering, where did I go wrong? And the word that God uses to give himself his name to Moses, if you translate it, is this. I am everything you need as the moment arises. I wonder if Moses hadn't been in the desert when God called him, if Moses had been in Egypt full of success Would he have cared if God had introduced himself as the one who had everything he needed? Man, I know for me, when I was reading this and it hit me like a ton of bricks, I was in a season when I really needed God to be everything that I needed. And I love that Moses argues with God. No, send someone else, he says, later on. He's in an argument with God saying, I don't speak well. I'm not a good orator. I'm not going to be able to give people command. Send someone else. And God's response to him is, who makes your mouth? I made your mouth. I called you. I created you for this. I just have two simple points tonight and we'll be done. If there's anything I've learned in my life, it's these two things. The first one is this. It's not over. Don't quit. It's not over. Don't quit. I think we get into our young adult years. And we started off so well, right? We were going to be cowboys and Indians. And then we were going to be astronauts and princesses. And then we were going to play in the NBA. And then we were going to be doctors and lawyers. And then we were going to change the world. And now I'm just trying to pass my classes at Green River. And we're asking ourselves the question... Maybe I missed it. Maybe, and I should have passed that math class my sophomore year because it docked my GPA by 0.1, and I didn't get into Stanford, and now I can't be a lawyer, and I missed it. Man, it is really easy to start coasting as your dreams start to diminish. Moses, on the backside of the desert, gets called for something greater than he ever could have done if he had stayed in Egypt. I want to ask the question tonight. Have we called ourselves a failure when God's just preparing us for this great thing that he has for us to do? Man, maybe that semester off from college, you're learning something that's going to make you impactful when you go back. Maybe that mistake you made is now a powerful part of your story you can tell to set someone free. When we fail... The only time we fail is when we give up. The only time we fail is when we refuse to stand back up. The only time we fail is when we say it's over, that we missed it. I guess settling now and existing is okay. That is when we fail. Never give up. It was in Centralia thinking I was forgotten and lost that I got trained to do the job I'm doing now, which I love. If I had not ended up in Centralia, I would have missed this opportunity. I wouldn't have met Brittany. I wouldn't have gotten married. I wouldn't be doing the job I'm doing. I wouldn't be leading UDYA. I am in my sweet spot, and it's because I ended up asking the question, how did I end up here? Second one is this, and we'll end. You have what it takes. You have what it takes. The power of God introducing himself to Moses, as I am, was God informing Moses, it doesn't matter how you feel, you still have what it takes. It doesn't matter how successful you feel. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what experiences you have. It doesn't matter where you're living. It doesn't matter who your family is. You have what it takes. I love in 2 Peter 1, it puts it this way. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Verse 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in this world. I love the first half of that scripture. Now seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything that divine power. If you break that down, I'm going to break it down. We'll be done. That divine power is the same power that created the heavens and the earth. It's the same power that makes God Yahweh. That divine power, his grace has been given to us. That word given to us means set upon our shoulders with the intention to be used Yahweh, God, who is everything we need as the moment arises, has given us his grace, his enablement and sat it upon our shoulders to be used when we need it. You have what it takes. You have access to becoming the person you need to be so you can do what you're supposed to do. You have the ability to move past that thing that you think defines you. You have the ability to succeed more than you think you can. And by the way, you're probably doing better than you think you are. You have what it takes. Let's pray. God, we thank you first that it's not over. God, we thank you that you were not intimidated by where we've been. You're not intimidated by what we've done. You're not concerned with how we think we failed. But you look at us and say, stand back up. Don't quit. Keep fighting. And we thank you. You don't require that of us, but not give us what it takes to do so. And I pray for every person in the room who is struggling with feeling like they're stuck. Who is struggling, feeling like they missed it. Who's concerned about not getting to the right places in the right time in life that feel like life may have passed them by or feel like they may have missed their opportunity, I pray that you would remind them that your plan is still working for them, that you still have intention for them, that you still have purpose for them, and that you're going to make sure that we have what we need to do what you're calling us to do. We thank you for that. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. You are awesome. We worship you in your name. Amen.